Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get into um, the podcast proper, I want to encourage you to go listen to the last episode, the last Sunday edition episode on um, on, on the job, which is all about kind of the, the miniature Iyashke anime, like micro um, genre, I'm going to call it, of anime all about like being at work which is a weirdly satisfying like grouping of anime that you should definitely go check out that podcast if you have any interest in that and on that note um i want to jump into what we will be talking about today because it's a little show that's from the most recent season that actually just ended a couple days ago called my dress up darling Yeah. 
Now, for those of you who haven't seen my dress up, darling, or have only seen the, like, the... I hesitate to say memes that came out of this show, but there are certainly memes that came out of this show. But the people who have seen, like, what's the best way to put it? The people who have seen... Who have seen who have seen the main character of this show who um looks a lot like who looks and acts a lot like Sid Snap, um Sydney uh who you may know as Gigux's fiance but she's also a kind of lewd anime specializing YouTuber um and th- this show can grab people a whole bunch of different hooks. I'm going to talk about the hook it primarily grabbed me on. I suspect that the more common hook it grabbed people on is the romance angle. And the romance angle of my dress up gar- of my dress up darling is great. But it's focusing on a bunch of different things and it's working on a bunch of different levels. That is really the hallmark of a really great, a really well-written, well-crafted, well-sought-out story. We'll get into what I think is unfortunate about it as we get, when we get there. But honestly, I don't think much is unfortunate about it. So, just for context, if you aren't familiar with My Dress Up Darling... the, what this show is about is it's about a teenage Garou high school girl. And if you don't know what Garou is, they're traditionally really hyper, hyper feminine, hyper pop culture obsessed, um, super quote unquote fashionable teenage girls. Oftentimes, um, Oftentimes they'll go tanning. Oftentimes they will bleach their hair a unnatural color, like blonde, um, like bleach blonde, specifically like platinum blonde, with like um, colored tips or something like that. Um, but the long short of it is, they they kind of stick out like a sore thumb, and there's been all kinds of like. Stuff written about them like they're easy or like they like are rotten or whatever. But uh, probably the best um, demonstration of like the full scope of what a of what a gal, quote unquote, could look like is um, the show from a few seat from a bunch of seasons back called My First Girlfriend Is a Gal, and it, it, the manga of that is actually better than the show, but the show really shows you the kind of full scope of what that kind of fashion obsession and, like, what that can look like. But this focuses on a, um, on a gal, um, and it focuses on her and the, um, the other main character of the show. The main character of the show who... They really run the show's point of view from, and that's this um, 
character named Gojo, and Gojo is part of a family business that makes Hina dolls. So he lives, his house is essentially a Hina doll factory. And if you don't know what Hina doll is, Hina dolls are dolls that are traditionally made for like the birth of a new child, traditionally made and passed down through generations and you'd and given and brought out at the birth of a new child. And they, they're like, they're wrapped up in a lot of stuff. But in particular, one of the best depictions of Hina dolls outside of this show that shows you what they really are is um, from the hosted a movie Mirai. If you go watch Mirai, which you can go watch on um, Netflix right now, you'll see what a Hina doll is and kind of like, what the point is. And much like a lot of things in Japan, Hina dolls are made by skills, but like a lot of traditional objects in Japan is what I will say. Hina dolls are made by like family businesses and by skilled craftsmen and they are these ornate, very gorgeous things. And these skilled craftsmen are... Oftentimes, craftsmen in the way that you would traditionally think of as an artisan who do who is engaging in in craft to make money, like they they make their whole family living off of making Hina dolls or um, ceremonial daggers or something like that. So, typically, what has happened with the kind of that kind of craftsmanship is those crafts have it's like the pieces of those crafts have other applications outside of whatever the traditional craft is that the family has maintained for generations um a perfect example of this is at the end of the at, at the beginning of the Meiji era, many, 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 there were many, many, many people who were really skilled at making katanas, Japanese samurai swords. But the samurai sword was going extinct because it was illegal to carry one. There wasn't really any need to own them. There was really only a need to maintain them from, like, you know, a soldier, like, preservation perspective. So lots of those, lots of the people who made samurai swords had to adapt those skills into making something else. One of the more common things they made is a small knife called a Higo no Kami, which originated in the Higo region and the name means like guardian of Higo. Um, but the uh, or god of Higo actually is the Higo, the region, no of Kami, the word for God. Like, that is the name of that thing. It's a small, like, I have one because I bought one for work. Because uh, I need a pocket knife for work. Because I do a lot of, like, opening of boxes and uh, inspecting of things as part of my job. Um, so I, or I used to, but I still, I occasionally, like, need to open a box and look at a thing. Um, <laughs> with, like, a discerning eye, and, like, I need a knife for that, so I bought a Higo no Kami. Um, 
they translate that into making pocket knives. That particular, the particular one person who's like 80 now and who's still pumping these things out. Um, that's how his family transitioned away from making samurai sword, making death, making pointy death knives. Oftentimes, when you buy a Japanese-made kitchen kitchen knife, that the roots of that is in forging katanas for war. Um, in like the in like the warring in like the warring era eras before the Meiji era. Why am I telling you this? The reason why I'm telling you this is because Gojo. Is really skilled at making the clothing for Hina dolls, but he had never been skilled at doing the makeup or the face or painting the faces of Hina dolls. And you need both halves to like complete the puzzle of being really skilled at making these things. However, he has just such the personality that he was taken by Hina dolls as a kid, so much so that like his first. You led to believe that what the girl who was his first crush just is weirded out by him. Like, weirded out by the fact that he likes girly shit and he's, like, so enamored by these, like, he's an adult. And to be fair, like, his enamored moment is, like, a very... It's a very, like lovesick look he gets on his face when he looks at the dolls. But it's okay. He looks at them as these beautiful, crafted things. He doesn't necessarily look at them as like, I want to bang the doll. He looks at them as, I love that someone has made something this beautiful. And he, as a craft person, has this unique... Um, relationship with the word beautiful that is true to the way people who create things also treat that word. And he has a very serious understanding of what it means to call something beautiful, what that truly, what that truly imparts to the thing and to the person or people who created that thing. Um, and then did Mirin, I believe her full name is Mirin Kitagawa or uh, Kanagawa. Um, and she is a aspiring cosplayer, but if you know anything about cosplay and if you don't, you're about to find out, um, cosplay is very craft oriented thing after a certain point and many times in order to be a real cosplayer you you either make your outfits or you have your outfits professionally made you don't necessarily just go on to although there are cosplayers who do this when they start out because they're you know trying on trying on the hobby so to speak you don't necessarily go out and buy a Ray Ayanami plug suit and just wear it to a con I'm not saying there aren't people who do that. There are plenty of people who do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's still more of the craft beyond that, but oftentimes, if you are making... If you are of, like, serious professional-grade cosplayer, 
you're either having your out your cosplay costumes made or you are making them yourself in some way, shape, or form. It is this extends to like makeup, hair, the whole nine yards. She's trying to make a cosplay. I'm gonna gloss over something really quickly here because it's not it's not super important and the show treats it with the appropriate amount of importance and immediately tosses it as like as like, oh yeah, we forgot to tell you that Mirren is really into cosplaying character from erotic visual novels. <laughs> and like that's the hook to get you that's the hook to say, hey, hey, dumb wee brain over here. Over here, we got the goods. And then when it gets into... It gets into... Mirren can't sew. And not only... I'm not going to say she can't sew. I'm going to say that she's just atrocious at sewing on a professional level. Or, or, or attempting to sew on a professional level. And like... In the very first episode... She finds out that Gojo can sew at all, and he can sew clothing. And Gojo, like, she shows him her costume, and it's just, like, poor excuse for a costume. It's, like, not... It doesn't even look close to what the fuck she's trying to... She would trying to make. And Gojo, he, like... This is so great. There's a... If anybody listening to this has kids who are starting to want to take interest in drawing or some kind of craft, there's a thing I encourage you to think about. I encourage you to think about having this specific conversation with your kids. And it's a conversation I had with my parental unit when I was growing up because my parent, I grew up to a single mother, was a creative person and still is a creative person in her life. And she looked at me dead serious when I was like, I don't know, like, when I was in elementary school, when I probably could have been more than 10. And she said to me, she said, do you want me to be nice or do you want me to be honest? Now, granted, you can phrase it better than that. You can phrase it with more kindness than that. But that conversation should always be had before you launch into your real thoughts. Because unless you're a kid. Unless you're like a person that's like an absolute genius. You'll have some thoughts. Especially if they're a child. Or even a teenager. What Gojo does is the exact opposite. He immediately is like. Are you fucking for real? This is nothing like the picture bud. It is. This is a fashion crime. This is a, this is a crime to sewing. And then he like. Gets super close and is like, this had no lining. Why is your collar so fucked? Like, the, these shoulders have no shaping to them at all. What is wrong with you? And then he, like, realized, like, oh, fuck. I could have been a human being here. And I immediately looked up and chose violence. And he backed off, freaks out, and apologizes. Nine ways to Sunday. And what comes out of this is a partnership between Mirren and Gojo where Gojo makes the costumes Mirren pays for the making of the costumes and serves as the model and 
what this does is two things. One for each side. And it's very important that, like, something is being done for each side in this romantic equation. For Gojo, it expands Gojo's horizons beyond the singular craft of making Hina dolls. And it, it, the side character of Gojo's grandfather has been, like, slightly alarmed at Gojo's singular fixation on his doll-making ability. And when Gojo takes any kind of interest in helping Mirren, uh, the grandpa's like, um, this is, this is good for you, yo. Like, you need to expand your horizons outside of just the thing you're into, or else you won't get any better at the thing you're into. And that's a really, that's a really common and important refrain for, um, for people to tell other creative people. So, just to the idea. I, for a living, at some point, have always been involved in design. For, um, in my current incarnation, I'm what is referred, what I self-titled myself as a furniture curator for outdoor furniture. And what that means is for for anywhere from usually about 20 to like $100,000, I will furnish of usually fairly wealthy clients um, outdoor living space. But what that involves and what that entails is tailoring to a client's style, tailoring to what they want to do with the space, tailoring to any preferences that they have for materials. And what that ends up looking like is, like, I can set out to make things look like they were, it might be at home on the set of that old, um, of a t of a certain TV show, or I can set out to make things look like that the characters from that um from that movie and that 1960 TV show, the man from Uncle, would be um right at home there. And I'm messing with all of those visual metaphors and visual styles that I pull from literally decades at this point of just consuming entertainment not just anime I want to be clear I spent I spent the better part of, I spent the better part of a couple of years when I was super underemployed <laughs> um, because I graduated into a recession because I'm a millennial um seeing every movie that came out in America <laughs> I'm not kidding because it was in the time when um, Optimum, when Optimum Cable, gave, when I, I had Optimum Cable, and B, Optimum Cable gave people free movie tickets for Tuesdays. And you could just, if you had the right bad time sink of being super under slash unemployed, you could go and you could see every movie released in a calendar year without fail. I mean, I saw Black Swan, I saw Spring Breakers, I saw, I saw all the super weird shit, as well as all the shit you expect to see, too. And 
that kind of consumption gives me like a visual knowledge base and like a visual understanding of stuff's relation to other stuff that makes it very valuable for what I do and will always make it very valuable for what I do as just a creative person. I can say like, oh, this this should look a little bit less like, you know, an, an edgy sci-fi drama and maybe a little bit more like a, like, film noir romance. And then I can make that happen. And in Gojo's case, that was kind of... That's what's missing, ultimately, from his craftsmanship. Is he's not pulling from the outside world. At all. And so what his relationship... What his, like... What his deal with Mirren gives him is it gives him a chance to see how making clothes... A, how making clothes for real humans means he needs to think about, like, oh, real people have lungs and they need to breathe. Real people have pores, and if those pores are blocked for too long, they will pass out from heat stroke. That's, like, one of the things he learns from his very first costume. He's like, I chose a really heavy material without the idea that, like, a human who I was going to see, who I was going to hang out with, was going to wear this, for hours. And what does that mean? That means that like Mirren almost passes the fuck out. In a public place. And also. Like he makes the. He makes the. The like. Support structure of the. Um, corset. Slightly too tight. And it just all starts to snap. Under the pr- pressure of like. Not a plastic chest. Or like a cloth chest. But like a real human, like well endowed chest, and he he learned all these things because he's out, he's in his comfort zone, but he's out of his domain. If that makes any sense. And on Mirren's side, what Mirren brings to the table, a she eventually like get to know another cosplayer and she starts learning all these things like about how to like bind your chest if you want to be a male character about how to change your eye shape with like scotch tape and clever tricks about how to like she also she already knows how to like cut a wig how to do her makeup in different styles and all of this stuff is in service of recreating a character who is fictional in the real world. And if you've ever seen really great cosplayers, you know what this stuff looks like. It looks incredible. Um, and also, this is why the cosplayers develop things specifically to be worn for like a couple hours at a time. They don't necessarily develop things to be worn for like on set for an entire TV show, a la, like, Faye's original costume costume from the animated Cowboy Bebop to the Faye's costume to the live-action Cowboy Bebop. That's what it looks like when, like, 
it's the difference between I'm a cosplayer walking around in this costume and eventually I will be able to go to my hotel room and put sweatpants on to I am a actress who has to do action scenes in a costume and these these shorts ain't gonna cut it, yo. These shorts are just gonna ride up all the way into my ass if I have to wear them and maybe do a drop kick in them. <laughs> maybe do a roundhouse kick in them, rather. And so all those considerations are taken and there's this moment when A, it's pretty clearly telegraphed, like Gojo is going to fall for Mirren, Mirren is going to fall for Gojo. But once they get, like, once they establish the fact that, like, they're into each other, they don't, A, there is no, like, we get it out of the way, like, um, in something like, say, his and her circumstances. It's more you get to see both sides of the scenario, because at that point, you start to hear Mirin's internal thoughts about Gojo and what she admires about him, and you start to hear Gojo's internal thoughts about her. And it, it has this, like, dual, like, both directions objectification that encourages both sides of the potential audience to watch, which is really interesting. And that's really where the, like, um, and Cosplay Fiend, Taylor, as I know him, literally, <laughs> um who I've done a podcast, a Sunday edition with, talks about this on his um, TikTok and Instagram feeds. But that's a really refreshing take because it allows both characters to be flawed and it not be a joke. It allows both characters, you to understand the interior lives of both characters. And I watched um, the, the dub of this show um i think yesterday the first episode of the dub to see how much to, uh, especially of like gojo rip tearing apart mirin's craftsmanship on her shitty cosplay um they actually translated into it and like i think they got cooler somehow which was a actual great choice for that scene um but the the place where I think that this show falters is it's really, really well paced and it's really fun until you get to the 12th episode. And this show will get a second season. It was insanely popular. It knocked it out of the park. But it got this... And even if it doesn't, there's a whole manga that goes beyond what um, the anime has shown so far. But the place where they chose to end up at feels really anticlimactic compared to even the episode right before. That like The episode right before has a whole sequence in it where they really, like, no one was showing it online when they were talking about the show or that episode because they were afraid... That, like, the censors would be like, oh, that's fucking, we, we gotta go in and get that. Would it expressly wasn't, but was also a lot of innuendo and a lot of, like, Gojo gets the boner because of questionable life decisions. <laughs> um, 
And like that, that moment, in that sequence of moments in that episode does like start to force those characters towards each other because of like, once again, really, and this makes total sense for the record. Because eventually Gojo also is the person who is the photographer for much of, for most, if not all, Mirren's um, cosplay photo shoots. And they, they have a character who's like a succubus character, and Mirren is spying on their mutual friends who did a different cosplay photo shoot. And their mutual friends fucked up and like, left the vibrator in the shot when they were in a love hotel and they used as a backdrop. Which, to be clear, lots of photographers and and um, different film studios use places you would never imagine as just really unique angles to get certain shots. So, Perfect example. Um, you, know, you can find blogs and like websites that cover this all the time, but locations from famous shows. So the steps that so the the Met steps from um, Gossip Girl, a perfect example. Gossip Girl, you know, wanted a famous place for them to all sit, and they just used the Met steps, and the Met steps kind of became like more famous than they already were. But then. They also use things like the Empire Hotel is a real hotel you can go to in New York City. It's not as lurid as like Chuck seems to make it with his presence, but it is a real thing. Like me and my friend Kia, hi Kia, um, have actually gone there, and we went to the rooftop bar that is very much there. Um, I think I have a picture of like the sign or a key in front of the sign or something. But um, that's not uncommon. And, like, the only thing that makes a love hotel in any way, like, very disturbing as a concept is the time limit that is, like, like an hour or two explicitly for the purpose of shack it up. And that's true of, like, any, like, lurid thing, like, a back massager is that, and hilariously enough, a back massager is not that far from a vibrator. In fact, many might argue they are the same thing. And that, that's the kind of vibrator they had in that hotel room. And Mirren picked up on this. She's like, hey, where are you guys? And the um, photographer of the other cosplay duo was like, oh, yep, we left that in. Jim now. Night catch. I'm gonna edit this out, and then I'm gonna repost the photo. But um, she has found out, so she brings them to the um. And I'm going kind of be. I'm giving you this because it's important to what I want to talk about with the end with the final episode of the show. Um, and they have this whole fo- photo shoot with Mirren dressed as like a succubus character. And Gojo said, like, something about this isn't right. It's like, something about the shots they were getting wasn't right. And the 
thing he realized was like they're not intimate enough. So what he does, he gets on the bed and he says, just, just straddle me. So I have the, like, I have the viewpoint of someone who you would be on top of as this character. And the f- pictures came out amazing. And that, and just so you have an idea, like, this is not an uncommon thing for photographers to, like, get that close or get that, like, uncomfortably positioned. Um... That's something you learn how to do, and that's something that you're encouraged to do in when you go to school for photography. They're like, yeah, um, get down into your knees and like contort your body like a snake to get the right shot if necessary. And oftentimes, like, there's a kind, and I've worked in the fashion industry, so I can say this definitively, like. Models do not have the same, like, lustfulness for... And this is true in creative anything. Like, models and creatives do not have the same lustfulness for the nude human form that other people have. Because we have been, like, necessarily conditioned to understand, like... We are using these, we are using like the human form to make something, either to draw it or to be models in magazines for fashion or anything like that. Unlike Gojo made the right creative choice there. And if you haven't been able to tell by this point, the thing that really took me by surprise and I was taken with by. My dress-up darling is not necessarily the romance angle. Though the romance angle is a lot of fun. Um, it It is the angle of collaborative and individual creativity. And the like creative choices that Gojo finds himself making once he's presented with the opportunity to. Because... <laughs> From the time before the story, before you come in on the story, he was only ever creating inside of a small, like, inside of his small little area of expertise. And once he started thinking about cosplay in the same way that he thinks about making Hina dolls, he started to think about it in a really consequential way, the... Uh, the succubus costume that is the subject of episode 11 is a moment where he thinks like, oh, that's right. Like, just it's not always going to be a visual novel where you see every angle. It's not always going to be an anime where you see every angle. Sometimes it's going to be a costume where you've never seen the back because the author never draws it. So you need to make the decision of like what this actually looks like. And... Um, and, and you see him, you see him encounter things like when he has to take Mirren's measurements, which is a very standard thing for just fashion. Like, you need a bust measurement, you need a hip measurement, you, you need measurements. <laughs> Somebody who, 
who had been doing it for years would be like, okay, strip, like, brawn panties strip, and he just goes, or like, okay, put this bikini on and we'll, and we'll do the measurement and we're done. He doesn't realize what he needs because he's never done it before, and it freaks him out. But once he gets past that, he just kind of has those in his head constantly, and after a few jokes, they kind of don't make jokes about it anymore. He's just like, oh no, that'll fit her, and moves on, because that's the way that creatives would treat that information, that someone who is a fashion designer would treat that information. That's the way that information is treated in um, shows like Smiles on Runway and shows like um, Neighborhood Story and shows like Nana and shows like Paradise Kiss. A lot of those are just Aya Dawa joints. She's real into fashion. I get it. Because she went to she went to fashion design school specifically, actually. But um the and it's just re, it's really interesting to see to watch somebody discover that kind of stuff for themselves. And then once I, once again like there comes a point where like Mirren is really trying to move the needle with the romance angle and Gojo is just oblivious. (laughs) Like, not aggressively so, but he just, like, he doesn't... He doesn't see the kind of, like, leeway he's giving Mirren, who, like, is more than happy to spend the entire afternoon watching a movie with the guy she likes in her bedroom. (laughs) Um... And it, and here's where I'm gonna say that I, I think the show dropped the ball pacing wise. The reason why I'm gonna say that is they could have or should have I'm not found a way to make the ending of the first season more consequential. And I suspect that at that point they knew they were going to get a second season. So they're not that worried about it. And I'm honestly not that worried about it. Even if they don't, the manga is there. For, like, for me to go find and read. But the last episode feels so like all of the other episodes before. With the exception of episode 11. That it just... It feels like a less consequential thing than it could have been. And I that's probably because the second the second last episode, episode eleven, was so clearly like they are they were about they were about to like be like, Oh we can't get out of this, like feel feelings initiated. We are like Tip to tip on noses. We're about to make some decisions that neither of us will regret. Um, or both of us will regret. And a different show, a show that's more interested, that has more of bigger control of its pacing, would have 
taken that moment, would have taken the moment and gone with that and like had a had a kiss there and had the last episode be about the consequences of that. And I suspect that's coming up at some point, but that was a rearing of the ugly head of the will they won't thingness of shoujo romance anime that this show could have just not done. And it probably would have been, it probably would have felt better as a show for the viewer of the show than the will they won't layness of that scene plus the second, um, plus the last episode, which is like a touching festival episode. But it's not, it's not as emotionally focused as the episode before it. Um, and on that note, if you want to go watch My Dress Up Darling, it's available, I believe, in its entirely dub, dubbed and subbed on Crunchyroll. Um, it's worth a watch. It's definitely worth a watch if you, um, if you like, if, if you're looking for a show about artistry and fashion and all this other stuff, or if you're just in the mood for a really good rom-com thing. Um, if you watch Dress Up Darling and you're like, where do I go from here? I have this love of, like, the craftsmanship of fashion and all this other stuff all of a sudden. What the fuck do I watch? Um, I recommend you go watch, um, not necessarily Smile Down the Runway. Smile Down the Runway is very specific. It's a very specific and weird thing. But you can watch Smile Down the Runway. What you could probably watch that would do you good is... Um, a neighborhood story, which is difficult to find. A paradise kiss. Those two things are really, like, paradise kiss is responsible for the birth of goth Lolita fashion. Like, that author quantified that thing in that manga. It's a six-volume manga. It's a, I believe it's even a six-episode it's a three, I think it's a three-volume manga, six-episode show. Um, definitely go watch that if you are interested in the, like, craftsmanship part of the, um, like, of Dress Up Darling. Also, I will leave you with this. My favorite scene in Dress Up Darling is the scene where Go Gojo is making the first costume and he finally finishes it. And he just texts Mira and he's like, the costume is done. I'm going to bed. <laughs> like he has like poured his everything into it and he's very proud of it. But also, fuck this. I don't want to be awake anymore. <laughs> and that's a very relatable like thing to completing a project for someone else who you are working on the project with. And you're just like, yep, this is done. I'm I'm shutting my eyes forever. Who knows when I'll wake up? It's fine. Bye. Um. On that note, if you like this podcast, new episodes of the podcast come out every 
Thursday and Sunday. Thursday is shows like this. It's more of shows like this where it is talking about a specific show, series, manga, movie, what have you. And Sunday is more metatextual, like when I want to cover like a micro genre or something in the industry or something in the fandom or something about animation or something super technical. Um, so definitely look out for those episodes. But until then, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk to you on Sunday.